Hello again, everybody. Welcome to another exciting special edition of the Big Red Bus. We have a special guest today, an expert on the Portland Trailblazers, a team tied to our future due to the fact that we have their first round pick provided they get into the playoffs next year. Jamie Field, who grew up next to Clay Thompson. Jamie, how you doing, brother? Doing well, Fred. Thank you for the kind introductions and uh, flying high. Come Flying high yet conflicted coming off the uh, the results of last night's draft. I probably should have uh, saved the uh, Clay Thompson uh, details for uh, later in the show, and we'll get to that later in the show. So hopefully everybody will stick around for that. But let's start out with the Blazers. Like, uh, yeah, conflicted is an interesting statement on your part since they did had Scoot Henderson, who by most accounts was an excellent talent, who would have been probably number one in next year's draft or number one in the previous draft. What say you about your feelings after last night where they didn't make a move, though, for a, a better vet to pair with Dame as he ends his career in hopefully Portland? Yeah, I mean, it's it's tough because, I mean, as you as you know, with some of the, the Bulls icons, Dame, I think, in the last year or two, more than likely, I, I, my, my opinion is he clearly did, surpass Clyde Drexler as the best blazer of all time. And so you've got this, this icon who carries... Um, is is so important to the city, the team, the culture, um, and has just been the culture setter in Portland for uh, the better part of the last decade and uh, came at a time where the Blazers were uh, kind of wading through the, the woods in, in terms of their direction with the Jail Blazers era. And then you've had you had the uh, slight uplift or excitement around the, the Odin, Roy, and Aldridge combo that came to a, a screeching halt. He's brought such... Um, such great times and, and for a, a, a pretty tortured fan base, so many highs, um, with, with the biggest challenge uh, being that he has, it, the front office has been unable to build a championship team around him and one that can compete at the highest level. And so, um, leads us, leads us to yesterday where there's so much conflict where realistically you look at what are the, what are the trade options out there that the Blazers could do, could, could take advantage of with the third pick and Anthony Simons and, and maybe bundling Nurk in there. And, and it just, it just became increasingly clear. Like there's not many players out on the available market that are going to move the needle. I mean, I found, I, I found myself not getting super excited about, uh, Mikel Bridges. Zion was the only kind of high risk, high reward that I, I was, I was super excited about. And so then it kind of leads you to the natural conclusion of, well, if there's not, if there's not a, clear championship uh, caliber piece coming back, then you kind of have to just go with the best available player. And, and, I, and I'm thrilled that Charlotte took Brandon Miller because I think that helps uh, ease the transition uh, if, if we do in the next several days have to say goodbye to Dane uh, because it leaves you with a really strong, uh, at least starting backcourt with Shaden Sharp and Scoot Henderson. Um, and, and, you know, presumably if Dane does get traded, a whole host of picks that will help lay the foundation for for the future if that's the direction they go in. Do you think he's going to be fine with this? Like, what is the general sentiment now on the ground that they they di- didn't move the pick and, and Scoot's coming in to the Portland, you know, uh, a situation where great culture with Dame, but at some level he's got to be, I think, somewhat disappointed that they weren't able to turn that into Zion Williamson. Yeah, I think so. I, I think my my hope is that he's been remarkably communicative and collaborative with the front office. And I think, I think where it stands today is 
he's been so loyal and so invested in the success of the Blazers and Portland. I mean, his pretty much his entire extended family has moved up and lives in Portland now. And so he's just, he has, he has immense roots there that I think he also just knows, um, he's such a high character guy. I think he, he doesn't want to be seen as the guy who forced himself out of, out of Portland. So I think my, my, my read on it is that he's, he, he's, he clearly sees what's happening. And my guess is he and the front office are communicating around what's happening. And, and I would think that they maybe already have an internal acknowledgement of, Hey Dame, these are, these are all the guys we tried to go out and get, try to get Zion, try to get Bridges, maybe try to get Siakam. Dame, look at our roster. Like none of them are going to move us into championship contention because of that. Like you're going to have to just let us draft the best players available and, uh, you know, Dame, we're going to do right by you and find you, you know, your next, your next home that is going to put you in contention for a championship, something you've never been able to do before. That's my guess as to what's happening. But mm. I think, I think it's a day where there's, there's so many conflicted feelings in Portland where it feels like the end of an era. Uh, well, at the same time, I think people are truly excited about, uh, the, the unknown, but the exciting future that is Scoot Henderson and, and, and Jaden Sharp. And the assets that, Let's say they went down that path and moved, you know, uh, Dame to whether it's the Knicks or the Heat. I, you know, I'm sure almost every team in the NBA, at least contending team, would have an interest in, in bringing him in. The, the amount of return in, in, in assets should be substantial. So that would allow for a massive rebuild, but a lot of really good young pieces with the Blazers that could grow into something special. Are you, your personal preference as a fan of this team for so long, would you rather see them just kind of go forward with the team as is with Dame, or would you rather see them move him and go for that full rebuild? Yeah, I I don't know, Fred. I'm I I I land on both sides of the fence. I've seemingly every every other day. Part of me wants to almost split the difference and say, what could we try to do in this off season? And, and at this point, my mind goes to. You know, you got Anthony Simons, who at this point seems redundant relative to the backcourt. You know, could you package him with, you know, Nas Little or Nurkic and get yourself like another starting, another starting caliber player and just say, Hey, Dame, we, we realize this, this may be, this may not be enough to get it done, but, but give us until the trade deadline. And, and if, if we don't, if we're not there, if we're clearly not there, like we'll find you a spot. And, and, I, that, that's, that's the, that's my hope. What I think actually is going to happen, Fred, is I, I would imagine that timeline is going to accelerate, accelerate considerably, unless the Blazers do something meaningful in the next 10, 15 days as we get to the start of free agency. I, I, I bet you that Dame is, is already kind of saying, Hey guys, it's, you, you've tried, you've tried for the last 12 years. We just haven't been able to get there. So I, I think they, my guess is they turn the page here fairly soon. So just for the people who weren't paying attention, Last year, I thought Portland started out fantastic. What was the reason for such a rapid descent in calamitous fall into the lottery? I guess in fortunate fall now when, with the acquisition of Scoot Henderson. Was it done on purpose or was it, were there issues before that injury related? Like what was the reason for their season to start out so well and then, and then go so wrong? About the halfway mark, I think they just, they just kept losing guys at the wrong time. And, and unfortunately, the Blazers just don't have the depth to be able to withstand multiple injuries at once. So Dame, Dame missed a couple games this year. Jeremy Grant missed a handful of games. Um, 
Uh, Nurkic actually had a shockingly healthy season to his standards. However, he's just, he's just lost a step or two over the past couple of years. So, so he's hasn't been as effective. But you just had people, Justice Winslow, who was a shockingly important player at the beginning of the year, was injured for a while. Um, you just had these injuries that line, that lined up at, at inopportune times. And then I think, you know, where, where you land in the West, it, given it was so, um, competitive this year and every, every team seemingly was jockeying for, spots four through 12 was once the Blazers got down into like the eight, nine, 10 range, I think what they saw was, well, we don't have a puncher's chance to win the championship or even get close this year. And, and honestly, if we do kind of like a, if we do a pseudo tank, we might be actually be able to land in the top six. I mean, I don't, I don't think they were even thinking that they were going to pass the, the, the magic, but they pretty much just mailed in the last 20, 25 games of the year. And, and frankly, I'm kind of glad they did because they, they didn't have a chance to win. And, you know, it, it's, it's a reminder that, it, I mean, they went 33 and 49. So they weren't even like an awful team, but they somehow sneakily landed themselves as the fifth worst record and, uh, and snuck into that, that third pick and got scooped. So, um, good consolation prize, but again, not kind of a, another waste of, of what was Dame's best season of his career. So, so would you predict? Just based on, I'm guessing based on everything you've said so far, you would estimate that the, that the Blazers will be in the lottery again next season. Oh, almost certainly, yeah. And and I think, um, I mean, especially if you look at what what they might try to go get by way of a, a trade package for Dame. I I mean, I think if their their plan would probably be let's see if we can get a blue chip young player and then the the mother load of picks. Like people were saying that this Brad Beal trade reset the market for. Uh, max players and, you know, Beals on the Supermax and Dame's on the Supermax. Does that give people pause? And my thinking is D- Dame and Beal are in two separate tiers as players. And Beal's contract, I think, is seen as a toxic asset. I think Dame's will be a bloated contract on the second half of it. But for the next two, three years, I, I think he he could draw as big of a package as Mitchell or... KD or, I mean, the Gobert package is, is still wild to this day, but I, I, I think he could still command <laughs> yeah. all, all the picks. I agree a hundred percent. I mean, it's not even a, it's not, shouldn't even be discussed in terms of the Beal trade. The Beal trade was a, there was only one or two teams that were eligible to get him because he had no trade clause. That's right. It's not even, you know, and I guess you could argue that, well, in a way, Dame has a pseudo no trade clause. Like, they're not going to trade him to a team he doesn't want to go to. But regardless, there's still more of those options. He'll go to LA. He'll go to Miami. He might even go to Chicago. He'll go to New York. You know, like, there's a lot more teams that he would say yes to than the Suns in Miami, which was really the only options for Beal. So, yeah. Um, I, I, I'm really bullish. I, I just think there's such an interesting situation with the Blazers because if they went forward, let's say they, Dame was, you know, stayed with the team all next year. I think they're good enough with some of their really young, their young talent. And assuming Grant, is Grant back? Is he under contract? I'm not sure. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the word on the street is he's, he's a virtual lock to resign. I think the, the, I think the, the rumors are like four years, 120, so 30 a year. It, it makes sense, I guess, for maybe your second or third best player. Still feels a little bit high, but he's, he was even remarkably productive when he was, when he was healthy. And so, um, but then again, you, you think about that. If, if the Blazers are going into a full pink mode, um, I'm not sure if it does make sense to pay him, you know, pay him that money, but, um, agreed. 
Um, but I mean, if he comes back, that's a team that I think can sneak into the playoffs at seven, eight, nine, or ten in the in the West. Am I am I wrong in assuming that? Like, do you feel do you feel the same way? I do. I mean, I I think they would be a playoff contender if they if they ran it back. Uh, my thinking would be. You know, uh, adjustments you make on the fringes is, you, you know, you've now got a, a surplus in the backcourt. And so you trade Simons and maybe the 23rd pick, which is, which turned out to be Chris Murray. So a decent, a decent three and D wing for uh, a quality starter. I don't think that would be enough to go get somebody like an OG Ananobi, but that's, that would be somebody I would be targeting. And then maybe you also try to, you know, use your mid-level exception for, Someone like a Grant Williams or something like that. I'm guessing he's going to command more than than that. Um, but I think I think you would have the ability to make some moves on the fringes and, and still stay competitive. I mean, you think it would be a starting lineup of Dame, Shaden Sharp moves into the starting role. You, you would have Jeremy Grant, potentially somebody like an OG Ananobi or somebody else, and then Nurkic. Like, still you got you got some wing defense in in Ananobi. You've got. Uh, Matisse Thibel, you've got Scoot Henderson backing up, uh, mm-hmm. you've got Drew Eubanks. It's not a terrible team, but it's still a team where you, you get one injury and you're, you know, then, then you're back, you're back to where you were before. Looking at the Blazers in their, in the past, you know, the Dame era, obviously they got to a, a Western Conference finals. Uh, I think it was against Golden State. They got, was that, sw- yep. I think they were swept several they years ago. Um, but it, a lot of success too. I mean, overall, the guy's just a fantastic player. One always been one of my favorites. What would you say is a primary reason they haven't been able though to get you know to a, a finals and, and and win a championship? They've oh, they've drafted frankly fairly well. They've developed players fairly well. I mean they've taken players like uh, Mo Harkless and Al Farouk Aminu and even you know somebody like an Ennis Cantor and. Uh, some of their best years in the NBA were, were playing for the Blazers as almost like rehabilitation projects, but they still have just never been able to solve the the, the conundrum, and, and it existed with CJ, it now exists with Anthony Simons, that they have a, a porous uh, backcourt uh, from a defensive standpoint, but they obviously they make up for it with their with their shooting and scoring, and so you've got to surround those guys with almost two kind of rangy three and D wing players with with a defensive center who can who can back you up and they've they've had those in bits and pieces but like Anaminu is not going to win you you know three or four series in the playoffs they they swung and missed with with uh, Robert Covington and Norm Powell those guys like came and went and, and I think were the, the the prototype of what you were looking for but didn't actually then when they were boots on the ground didn't didn't serve their purpose uh, the way the, the way they were I think intended to and then. You know, and then they've, they've stuck with Nurkic now for, I want to say, six or seven years. And while he's been a serviceable center, the Blazers have, I think, been in the in the bottom, you know, I, I would guess, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but a bottom 10 defense for probably the last four or five years. And, you know, when, when you have your center being kind of a little bit more lumbering and a little bit more slow moving, it, it, it creates challenges. So I, I just feel like, Fred, they haven't been able to put all the pieces together around what has been pretty a pretty transcendent or above average backcourt for the no, last decade. No doubt. And I think you touched on it. They weren't able to put the defensive pieces in the front court that you need to kind of cover a little bit of the deficiencies of the, the incredible offensive front court you had in, in CJ and, and Dame. Exactly. But and I think they tried to address that, you know, a few times. Uh, at Covington, you know, a couple of those moves that they bring in in some of those really good defensive 
bigs uh, or or taller, bigger wings, um, but just never was the right the right pieces. And I think you're right though. It starts with the center. He's a lumbering guy. That's not the way the game's played anymore. And he's he's got echoes and reminders of of me with the Bulls and Vucevic. It's just like, yeah, can you really win? And I know people say, well, look at Jokic. Yeah, yeah. Well, Jokic is a transcendent, arguably the best, one of the best offensive players of all time. If you have that, well, then you can deal with some of the defensive deficiencies that he has. And he's not even that awful defensively. So I don't know. Uh, I'd like your opinion of the, as we bring the big red bus in on the last question here. Who do you, if you had to put money on it, what team in the West that you've seen you feel next year? will be the biggest challenge to Denver Nuggets. I think there's only two real options right now. It's either it's either Phoenix, who can a can a top heavy team with a, as much offensive firepower as, as the NBA has seen in the last decade uh win with a a what's what's gonna have to be a pretty shallow supporting cast versus um has Father Time caught up to the Warriors, and and even even more so with the advent of them acquiring Chris Paul, does that make them uh, smarter and savvier and and more skilled, or does that make them just that much older and one one year past you know Draymond and Clay and Steph and, and certainly Chris Paul's prime? My hunch in that goes to I'm I'm just betting on the on the championship DNA of the Warriors and and I know that at some point that's going to close um I'm still bullish on Draymond coming back and, and signing an extended deal with the Warriors and I think they're going to give it another run um and they all they need is Chris Paul to be healthy for the months of March, April, May and June. They don't they, they can they can throw away his usage in the beginning of the the beginning of the season. So my my money would be on the Warriors but I mean, I, I think it's, it's different, uh, this year than it has been in years past where Denver's proven that they're head and shoulders above the, the rest of the West and, uh, all roads are going to have to get through them. Yeah. I, I, I don't believe in, in the Warriors. I mean, Chris Paul, he'll be hurt or bad. He's, I think he's yep. done. Uh, the Suns to me are the only legitimate one. And I think people are a little bit underselling them and, for whatever reason, the BL move was really kind of poo-pooed. I think they're going to get some solid rotation players agreeing to minimums to just have a shot. And if those guys, if those, those three guys are healthy, I mean, they, they did win two games against the, yeah. <laughs> against the Nuggets without Beal. Now they got Beal. I mean, like, it's gonna, I think that team is pretty close. Um, that said, last question. Tell us a little bit about your friendship with, uh, the great Clay Thompson. I mean, my goodness, I've seen the pictures. Unbelievable. And, and, uh, love to hear a little bit of that background in, in the final two minutes. Yeah, absolutely, Fred. Uh, I mean, honestly, just super fortunate. My family and I moved to a new a new neighborhood when I was in fifth grade, and we we had heard that there's a three boy family next door. Where I come from, a three boy family, and you know, after a couple weeks, we started playing with each other, and uh, and then for the next four years, while we were neighbors, we were we were pretty inseparable. Uh, my, you know, my brothers and, and, uh, and, and the, and the family next door, you know, we had our distinct teams for basketball and baseball and football. And we had a hedge that divided our houses that we would run, run between to go to each other's houses. And so, you know, it was it, growing up, it was just like a, a friendship amongst, you know, neighborhood friends. And then, you know, flash forward 10 years, it's, uh, 
you know, one of the three boys is pretty good in college, in, in college, and he's, he's doing some things at Washington State, and then all of a sudden his junior year, he's on the radar for the draft and goes, you know, goes 11. Uh, and then fast forward, he's like one of the best three point shooters of all time. He's so, a Hall of Famer. Yeah, yeah no yeah, doubt about it's, it. It's incredible. Yeah. It's incredible. yeah. So it's one where, like, you know, I look back and, and it really was just like, you know, these are, these are neighbors who we like to play with and we, we all love sports. So we're going to do that. And, um, been, been fortunate to, to keep in, in decent touch with Clay and, and his brothers, Trace and Mikey. And so, uh, if you had told me that this is where it would have ended up, I would have called you crazy, but it was, uh, it was just a, a stroke of good luck. And, and, uh, I was very, very thankful growing up that they were neighbors because they were interested in all the same things that we were and uh it was a ton of fun hey jamie thanks again for taking the time uh for your first ride on the big red bus uh really enjoyed this conversation i'm looking forward to in the future to have uh your uh expertise not only on the blazers but on most of those teams in the western and eastern conference for that matter thanks fred can't can't wait to do it again take it easy jamie bye-bye Later.